Hey people, what's happening? Dave the Clone checking in as the winds of change are blowing all around us. Occurred to me as of late that times are so out of whack, so unexpected for, I don't know, the chronology we all understand as humans. It really, I mean, it really begs the question, what is this all about? We've been asking it since the beginning of time, I think, therefore I am, but this whole cycles repeating itself, history repeating itself, people falling in line with seemingly preset patterns, it's... I don't know, man. I don't know. It's one of those weirdly reflective days. One of those days where it's like, I want to be happy. I'm doing a victory lap right now. I should be happy. We have some cool stuff happening, but... You know, it's hard. It's really hard. Maybe that's, again, why it's so uh, tempting to dive in uh, to these other sources of attention-grabbing entertainment, you know, and... uh, But it's odd. It's almost like now that this door has been unlocked, I can't close it again. Pandora doesn't go back in the box. So I find myself playing video games or watching movies and really taking new things to heart than I feel like I used to. And it's almost... uh, It's scary when I sit sit back and realize it's happening. You know, like I... uh, Recently purchased Saints Row the Third Remastered for PlayStation 4. This was a game I loved, loved, loved playing on PlayStation 3. I was more of a GTA fan. I, I kind of stayed away from the Saints Row franchise until this installment. And then uh, it was just so much fun. And even when I was playing it recently, there were times where I'd be sitting there and, I, you know, I just shot a whole bunch of people. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is fun. And even just saying that out loud now, it just sounds pretty scary, right? You know, the concept of this game, you're rewarded for breaking the law. You're rewarded for disregarding public safety. You're rewarded for injuring, murdering, and maiming uh, not only your enemies, but your random collateral damage civilians that happen to be standing around. Um, and you're kind of the boss of this criminal empire. I mean, it is actually a great game for someone who wasn't part of the franchise or wasn't a fan of the franchise to start with. So maybe this is a, another page in the diary of Dave's adventures in video gaming as a 40-year-old. It's a really shitty title. We're going to work on that one. That's going to evolve over the course of this. And thank you again for tuning in. I'm glad you're finding us wherever you're finding us, whether this is our Anchor FM feed or one of our many collages to come on our Hollow Nine proper feed on Potomatic, or hey, maybe you're checking us out on Spotify and it's either one of those two. Or you're watching a video on YouTube that features a part of this audio. Thank you for being a part of the Hollow Nine universe. Thank you for stopping by and checking us out. I hope you're enjoying what you're seeing and hearing and experiencing and that you want to be part of it going forward. So uh, please do interact with us. Send us an email, hollow9podcast at gmail.com. And uh, let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you want to see and hear more of, and uh, what your feelings are. Did you play Saints Row the Third? Because we're going to keep talking about it right now. That's what's going to happen here. But, uh, you know, what do you remember 
Have you played the remastered version on PS4? So, you know, uh, <laughs> right from the get, this game, much like, I guess, the later Grand Theft Auto series games, gives you a lot of customiz uh, customization options for your character. And you can kind of control everything from their physical build to the features of their face to how, you know, wide the space between their eyes is and how deep set and solid and brick-like their jawline is. So I found myself both times I played this as a 20-something as now and now as a 40-something eerily making my character resemble myself. And it's funny because as a 40-year-old, I aged him up. I wanted to make sure he looked like me now. And I think that could be influencing some of the ways that I make these decisions because I guess the first time I played it, I was seeing myself as a younger person and felt like, oh, well, you know, I'm in that period of time where nothing matters. The future is going to, you know, right itself. That ship is just waiting for me to catch up to it. Right now, we could kind of throw caution to the wind and play a game like this and indulge in some oddity but uh now maybe seeing myself as an older character on the screen doing some of these things it sort of just rings differently i don't know i'm not gonna say better or worse i'm just gonna say differently but it is making me consider the aftermath of some of the things you do in the game a lot of explosions a lot of people's livelihoods being destroyed and uh i don't know i've been going down a lot of rabbit holes lately on youtube uh really, you know, having a lot of learned people. I'm talking about PhDs in physics and astrophysics and particle physics and quantum mechanics. People who know what they're talking about. And there's so much conversation about how our reality could very well be a simulation. It's kind of, I think, spooky to be hearing a lot of that conjecture and then playing a game like this that so mirrors a very realistically rendered you know, world comparatively to ours. Uh, the scary thing about a lot of these conspiracy theories, and I don't even know if they're conspiracy theories, they're really just conjecture, theoretical conjecture, but a lot of them say, you know, the scariest part is that the games, and that's the best thing they have to compare it to, are always getting better and better and looking more real. And they said at some point, if we continue on this path, the games will be indistinguishable from reality. And when you think about some of the work being done with holograms, you know, there's something to that, right? And so, by ex now, extension of that thinking, that logic, if they're going to become indistinguishable from reality, once that happens, what's to say you couldn't wake up sort of like waking up in the Matrix and you're already part of this thing that so resembled reality that you don't know the difference? Now, there's like a big hurdle to get over there, and that's assuming that you were conscious in the world before this, you know, uh, new rendered version comes out and were awake and consciously entered into the sort of switchover. And the only way for something like this to work is for there to be a certain loss of memory in the transition. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I feel like this is something that was a lot more fun to talk about in the 90s when it was just a. Uh, sci-fi techno babble in movies that we all just assumed out there's nothing like that it can never happen what that's that's ridiculous and we could just leave it there um not to jump too far away from all this but it's it's interesting how the layers go here but recently doing a, a rewatch on the uh x-files starting from episode one with my girlfriend and uh you get to some of these episodes where they talk about technology and they talk about the future of ai and you have people talking about uploading their consciousness and and becoming part, you know, becoming part of the cloud, one with the internet, 
And uh, it sounded so crazy then, but people are still talking about it now, and they're talking about it as if it's something that's, you know, within our grasp. It's on the horizon, and people can see it. And so for me, I'm left thinking, like, yeah, what does it say about our world that so many people are so excited to be able to jump from this world into something that would be more of, like, a digital copy? You know, you look at shows like... uh, Uploaded. I don't know, is that what it's called on, on Amazon? There's this show where you basically decide to die and go live the rest of existence in a simulation. It's like choosing to live in a video game. Then now let's go back to Saints Row. Imagine you're living in a video game where one of the players is allowed to just wreak havoc on the city around you. That You're given vehicles that are psychotic. I mean, that's one of the things that's weird about playing the remastered version. It kind of comes preloaded, uh, almost Game of the Year edition style. With all kinds of stuff that you had to either work really hard to unlock or you had to pay for as DLC when you when we were doing this the first time around. So there's portions of this game that I'm unfamiliar with. But there are definitely like vehicles that are in, already in your garage when you get your first uh, stronghold. But I'm kind of like, well, what the hell is this doing here? I never had this before. The Genki Mobile. Uh, a lot of suggestive stuff. It's amazing how ahead of the curve this game was on the sort of LGBTQ and trans pansexualism and how you're sort of actually almost rewarded to kind of push your comfort zones one of the things this game does that's interesting is it has a running respect meter and the things that you get respect for are kind of uh on the surface first glance pretty odd you know like driving in the oncoming traffic lane when you're driving the cars yeah sounds ridiculous but somebody who's like an egomaniac uh, who feels entitled enough to be able to just kind of run rampant around the city, uh, I think those are the kind of things they, they feel like they should get respect for, right? You really get to explore the uh, ego of a megalomaniacal criminal villain comic book level type thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, you get more respect for driving the oncoming lane. You have to constantly buy new clothes because flash and capitalism and all that. So you don't get as you get more respect for buying nicer clothes, but you get the most respect for cross-dressing and for you know being atypical, I guess, for a game like this. And I always thought that was interesting, and I kind of like that you get to just choose your own flavor and go with it. So there's something to be said amongst all the insanity of this game. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a few to talk about this more. But, uh, yeah, Saints Row the Third Remastered is going to be an ongoing saga here. Mostly, though, because of how much it lets conversation begin about things like Mandela Effect. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That's one I recommend checking out. One of the ones I've watched during the pandemic madness of uh, watching everything under the sun lately. And uh, that one's a real interesting take. And it's something that has inspired uh, a project in the works over here at Hollow Nine called um, Diaries of a Ma- Diaries of Madness or Sketches Diaries of Madness. Um, it was after watching that movie that I was really struck by, you know, this is something that was laughable a couple years ago. I remember the first time you'd even hear somebody mention the Mandela effect. It was all starting because of the Berenstein Bears. Berenstein versus Berenstein. I'm a Berenstein. I remember it. Steen. S-T-E-I-N. I will never, ever, ever believe that it was always Stain. So I love that that's an ongoing argument that will never end. Um, but the fact that this movie starts with the premise that the Mandela effect is a kind of known thing. And, um, we're not a known thing, but 
uh, conspiracy theory type conjecture fun thing that this guy starts to, the main character starts to suddenly wonder if it was possibly real and he's a programmer and they start like, <laughs> you know, they start bringing in all this conspiracy theory about the sort of simulation theory. If you think making me repeat myself is going to somehow make the story change, or if you just don't want to hear what it is I actually have to say by again, we changed course based on orders received on the flash band from company headquarters. Code gold, command eyes only, standard operating procedure as I know you are aware. Search and rescue would rarely venture into an unregulated area without more concrete proof of life. We sure found something out there, alright. When you watch it as a little kid, you know, it's a monster movie, it's really creepy, but then there's all the weird artificial intelligence stuff, there's the, like, rapey nature of the facehuggers and all that. Why don't you stick your face in the egg, dude? Is there an egg opening in front of you? Stick your face in there and see what happens. When I fall asleep at night, I have this irrational fear that something is going to crawl inside and, like, lay eggs inside of me. I'm actually wondering, <laughs> now that we're talking about this, if this might have been the impetus for that. You know, Star Wars comes out, and they go, what other movies do we have set in space? Boom, Alien gets green light the next day. Very similar to just even how our government is in preparation for something where they didn't know exactly what was in store, like specifically xenomorphs. Bodily fluids, and it's not just blood. There's a lot of, like, grease, and there's a lot of sweat. And mm. it wasn't the blood that got me, it was the sheer amount of sweat. We're on a mission to bring back knowledge of the Xenomorph. The end of all mankind, all wrapped up in a boat, just waiting for us to come along. You're gonna find yourself staring down the barrel of a living, breathing devil in the flesh that bleeds acid and lives to kill us. And if we're in a simulation and there's a quantum computer strong enough, it could reboot everything. Of course, the whole story is driven by a guy whose uh, daughter passed away at a very young age. And so in his mind, Mandela effect, multiple layers, multiple versions. Can we go back to a previous version of reality? Can we reboot? And if so... Is the Mandela effect, in fact, clues left by the creator to let us know that there's multiple passes, multiple attempts, there's ways to fix things. It's sort of an interesting way to bring a tropey thing into a movie about something uh, so sort of modern. But I guess, to me, the thing that stood out more was if we're at this point where we're making movies about this and we're using it as the basis for Hollywood, you know, popcorn machine fodder, is that to lend more credence to the concept that there's something more to this and now the powers that be, call it the Illuminati, call it whatever you want, are trying to use the Hollywood machine to, you know, the same way they did with UFOs in the 40s after the Roswell crash. We have to make science fiction, we have to make this a laughable thing, we have to make it something easy to palette as long as it's in the realm of fiction, and so let's make this movie about the Mandela Effect. Does that mean that the Mandela Effect is real? Does it mean that this shit is actually going on? See, I've never had a conversation one-on-one -on -one with anybody who had an understanding of theoretical physics, particle physics, quantum computing, quantum mechanics, D-wave. <laughs> so if anyone out there is listening, and this is sparking any kind of ideas, uh, I would love to have that conversation.
I'm hoping it does. But, you know, it's it's crazy where I think, you know, I don't know if this is just a sign of age and this is what everybody meant when I was growing up saying one day you'll understand or when I was your age things were so different. But I remember never feeling like anything like this was even a possibility. Now, granted, as a kid, we didn't know, I didn't know what the Internet was. I didn't know there was a possibility of an Internet. I didn't know the future contained the Internet. So I didn't know that all the knowledge of the world would be accessible at our fingertips and that whoever controls that knowledge controls the knowledge of the populace at large to an extent. But, you know, living in physical reality, you would never even think of the possibility. Could this all be what it feels like to be a character in a video game? Would they, would they touch a tree and feel the bark, whereas in Saints Row, I see them leaning against the tree and I just shoot them because I feel like they're a uh, programmed sim non-player character who's going to just reappear anyway if I reboot the game? reboot the game, kind of like rebooting reality, kind of like the Mandela Effect, have video game characters been living in a world of Mandela Effect so long that they're now rejoicing that humans have caught up. This kind of brings to mind things like Tron Legacy, <laughs> which I love how this jumps around, but I don't know. I mean, this is all really cool stuff. It's fun to talk about like this, but when you, if you really let the implications of this in too deep... I could see it driving people mad, you know? There are times I think it drives me mad. I don't know. And I don't know, what, it, what would knowing that truth, what would that change? Would it change anything? Would it make it any easier to deal with the fact that I became homeless if I ever did, you know? Would, be, would, would walking up to a homeless person and explaining that they're just a simulation, they're just a non-piece, an NPC in some kind of cosmic simulation, the programmer and designer of which we cannot possibly know or understand from anything to what they are to what their motives are. But lucky you, this was the, this was the card you drew when they were designing the background and the, the uh, elements <laughs> that are going to appear on screen. I don't know. Think about that episode of Rick and Morty with the Roy video game where you get to live out someone else's entire life and uh, <laughs> Rick says he never goes back to their carpet store after he die after he beats cancer. I mean, just the concept of that alone. Was that a little hint? They always say that the powers that be, they kind of drop little hints to the rest of us to let us know that we're just rats in a cage kind of like the Mandela effect might be little hints from the even bigger layer above, letting us know that we have no idea what we're dealing with. So what does that mean? Should we just sit around and enjoy the ride? Is it a ride that you can enjoy, knowing that these things are in play? Are these things in play? I don't know. You know? It brings up interesting ideas, like can you handle the fact, if this is true, that you, as the player, user, experiencer of your story. To you, the only world that exists is what's right in front of your eyes, and all the other stuff, like countries you're not in at that time, the other side of the world, doesn't even, isn't even a picture, because the computer doesn't need to render what you're not going, where you're not physically experiencing. Think about that. When you're in a video game, they may have designed this entire map, but it's not showing you the whole map all at once. It's only showing you what your character is standing around. And as you move, it is actively rendering the next piece of the map that you move into. So I'm standing on my back porch. Does the computer really need to be rendering Pakistan or 
Zimbabwe. I'm not there. How do I know if they're correct or not? And this long-winded way of getting to the idea of this question has been asked for a long time. It's This is the question. Same question. If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, did it make a sound? Does the computer bother rendering the tree falling? Or is it just the tree has already fallen when you get there? Because by probability, it should have. Or if not that tree, a tree next to it. You know what I mean? Are your noses bleeding yet? Have you seen the white flash and has the island appeared somewhere else? Has your consciousness uploaded to the resurrection ship? And are you about to be downloaded into the next copy of you? I guess the last piece of this that I was thinking of most recently is... Let's say all of this is true. Let's say you can upload your consciousness. Let's say you can reboot the video game of your life. Do you actually experience the death of the version of yourself that you leave behind? You know, it seems like a lot of people, both in the theoretical side of it and whatever you read about what's actually being done, the concept of trying to download or upload your consciousness into a piece of software or hardware that can then just put it into artificial bodies. What happens to the original you, though? You know, that's great. There's a version of you that's going to go on. But the, the you who wants to live forever... The you who's going to the store to have them download your consciousness and put on a disc. When you, in your body, die, you still go into that eternal sleep, don't you? You close your eyes and you never open them up again. That version of you dies. And the next version of you boots up. But they don't remember going through death, right? Or maybe they do? Can they? How could they? They, you saved the file before you died. <laughs> you know what I mean? The file picks up where you saved it. If everything follows the same rules as computers. That's the thing that's always bothered me. I've never bought this whole, like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess because in Battlestar Galactica, which is the best representation of what everybody's hoping for, your brain is constantly, every millisecond, uploading your consciousness to the resurrection hub. And then when your next body, like when you die, your next body picks you up exactly like the next breath from when you died. So it's the most current. But let's say the last time you saved yourself was a month ago. Anybody who's a video editor, anybody who works in media, you know when you only have an old save file, then your autosave didn't work. And you have to go back several steps in where you were. You're likely to scrap the whole thing and start from... No, no, it's not true. Depending on what you're doing, you'll be very frustrated. But you know... It's very hard to completely recreate what you lost. But it's still not the last thing you remember. I don't know. I think I may have gotten so deep that people are kind of getting scared now. So let's let this be... Let's let this be the uh, end of this first chapter of uh, Revisiting Saints Row. And look at, look at where it took us. So for those of you out there uh, who haven't heard from us in a while, it's been a great end of the summer. We're going to have a lot of content coming up about... Um, our trip to Disney uh, and what we saw there, what we experienced there. Uh, there are definitely people helping the simulation stay a simulation if that's what's going on. And uh, all kinds of other new stuff on its way. More audio drama stuff to come out of the woodwork. Got some cool things in the work. It's like we want to drop, drop hints, but we don't want to drop too much because things are always in flux. Our, our, our situation evolves a lot. Um, please check out the stuff we just did with G. Tom Mack, though, the Your Voice Matters. Uh, make sure you get out there and vote this November. And other than that, I will talk to you guys the next time. 
when I make a little more progress and feel a little more odd about being a, a character in a video game called Saints Row Remastered. Or, who knows, I'm also playing, uh, uh, what is it, Toy Soldiers, War Chest Edition, got plenty to complain about there. <laughs> and uh, Control, it's another awesome one. But anyway, tales for another day. Until then, I'm Dave McClone. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Hollow Nine Network, bringing you the very best in fan-made media. That's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E. Now broadcasting from our new home on the web, hollow9.com, where you can find info on all of our awesome programming as well as the team behind the shows. Leave us your feedback, join in the conversation, and be a part of the action. Find the Hollow Nine Network on Facebook, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Email us at info at hollow9.com or at hollow9podcast at gmail.com. Join in the fun. Hollow Nine! New Jersey Harkon reputation is exploding. The atmosphere you guys have created. New Jersey Harkon was my entree into an actual horror convention. Wow. And you guys are doing a great job. That yeah. is amazing. I'm super proud and super inspired to hear that. I mean, that's a testament to the community of cons and, you know, of horror and stuff in general. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, it's wow. Carmen Alexa. Hey, hey, hey. Wow, we are all nice giving you, high fives to an absolute icon. This is incredible. Um, trailblazer, amazing. You are amazing. Carmen Electra, Absolutely. be well. Safe. Thank you so much. Love. Have a good one. Be well. So you can't see it on radio, but oh she's my still God. got it. Yes. That's my Absolutely. wife. Still right got it. My wife gets the picture uh, of Carmen Electra. The wife does it. There you go, wife. Good job, wife. <laughs> That's a keeper. That wife's a keeper. Are you having a blast? I am having a blast. Are you having a blast? I am. What this was, place is awesome, right? What's your most favorite part of the whole day so far? When the guy dressed like Gene Simmons from Kiss stopped in front of our booth and we put Strider on and he did a lip sync to the whole thing. Guys, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. Yeah. Sorry, but I'm Michael Winslow. I got to have this whole experience where Leslie Easterbrook was lost in looking for her autograph table, and I got to take her all around. Okay. It's spooky, actually. I'm going to turn it, the chair around a little bit sure. so I can see you. Oh, well, all right. Keep all right. an eye on you. <laughs> I saw you, and I thought, hmm, this guy knows everything. <laughs> oh. Terrific oh, really? and oh. sound in here with cool. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really amazing clear. how it... Damon Della Greca of Slasher, this awesome app. I, you know, I wanted to do something that would really make it for these people who just love to create, who love horror. Thank you for what you're doing, dude. It's Thank great you. that you put this together. Absolutely, man. It's always good to see you. We're trying to have as much fun, and we want people to have fun with us, and that's why we got guys like you stop by the table, hang out. We got to do the radio thing for a little bit. He's Not from Jersey, you know. I'm 
I'm from, from the South, so. And I'm from the Bronx, so. Ah, so, so we're all still okay. friends. That's good. So we're all good. <laughs> Daniel Frankenstein. I'm representing a psychothematicmedia.com. Call ourselves a creative collective. My name is Gail Bikowitz. Yeah, I'm Hector De La Rosa. We're partners in crime here. We're doing special effects makeup, and we're also independent filmmakers. When I ran into them earlier, they were definitely <laughs> vampire cowboys. I love Better Off Dead. I love Dylan Ted. Um, and I'm just so glad that you guys remember those films. Oh my god, those movies. I would go to school and just try and talk like Bill and Ted all day. No like, David Clone from the Hall 9 Network, and by now you know what it's time for you to do. Let's go on over to NewJerseyHorrorCon.com, get yourself some tickets, and check out this awesome event where we are lifetime sponsors. We will be there from now until infinitum with all these incredible guests that are going to be at the next one, bringing you all the awesome from the show floor right to your digital door, right here at Hollow9.com at the New Jersey HorrorCon and Film Festival. I got it. That's good. <laughs> See you soon.